Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Mike Ladman. But so they're like, you, besides this, you have no portfolio or anything. You have all this music. Why don't you go for the music producer internship? And I was like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Silent Giants Podcast, a show that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is Mike Labman, music supervisor at Droga 5 Creative Agency. Droga is an agency that works with companies across various mediums of broadcast, print, digital, social, and experimental marketing. Some of Droga 5's most recognizable work includes campaigns for the New York Times, Mark Echo, Newcastle Brown Ale, Android, and Under Armour. I linked up with Mike in his office to chat about his love for music, how he became a music supervisor, and learn more about his day-to-day experience at Droga. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the music supervisor, my friend, the silent giant, Mike Ladman. That's great. That's cool. You sound amazing. All right. What's up, Mike? Hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most like relaxed interview uh, I probably have ever had. Yeah. As far as like, you know what? It's how does it start? Typically, it's like preparation after like, you know, make sure you're talking to the microphone and. Uh, you can talk, you know, make sure to talk slower because it's a podcast and blah, blah, blah. It was like preparation. No, this was like, let's see some cashews. Let's like look at apartments. There we go. All right. <laughs> cashews, apartments, all good. How's the apartment hunt going? It's getting there. I think after after your your help, I think we're going to be in a nice spot because I haven't found someone who like who gets Brooklyn and I think gets what I'm looking for. Well, look, your neighborhood is a, a representation of your personality. Why the neighborhood is important. Is because your friends are the people who are going to help you, right? Like that's how you um, figure out if you want to be in finance. If I want to be a finance person, like work on Wall Street, I'm living in Hoboken. Like that's where they are. Yeah, like, that's that's where they're hanging. Yeah, you know. But if I want to get into uh, 
being a painter, well, I'm living the Lower East Side. I'm gonna live in Alphabet City. I'm gonna live in Williamsburg. I'm gonna live yeah. somewhere or Bushwick. I'm gonna live somewhere where artists live. So I think it's uh, a very important element of your personality and where you want to go in your life and your career is who you hang out with. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Which when we were chatting last, that was it was cool because it was you highlighted some things that I think I thought were wrong with life or not or just not as planned. And then just in terms of that, of like where you are and who you surround yourself with, something that I'd been doing, but I don't know if I was doing it necessarily consciously, yeah. but like, but noticing that by that by doing that or for a while, I think that's what I was right with neighborhood not mattering was I kind of separated this work and like personal thing for like, it was two different things. Mm. And then the longer I've been doing it, just like, especially in the music side of things, like all those people just became like good friends. And once it's just like those sorts of things kept like mixing, that's when I found like could elevate and have these other chats of really inspiring things. Like we were talking about, like where is music going? Where is advertising going? Where is media content? Like where am I going in this? What is my role within these worlds and just the world and goodness and, and all that stuff? So now thinking about it, it's like, all right, I could, like I saw a great apartment right back in financial district, but it's like, that's not going to elevate me for where I want to go or be around the people. And it's like, I think Droga is like, people are like, why is it on Wall Street? That seems so funny where it's like, you're walking around, it's like, Wall Street, bro, Wall Street, bro. It's like, flamingo shirt and like crazy hair, like <laughs> on a bike. That's, it's like Droga, you could spot it. And then, but we're right by the ferry. So it's super easy for Brooklyn to get here. Yeah. And I think for so much of my apartment, it's like, well, what's, allows me money to do other stuff and then like what's near a gym what's near a commute all this sort of thing that like separating the two but if it's all together it makes more sense have you seen the quincy uh quincy jones documentary yet on netflix no i got that it's like the number one thing on there i keep seeing everyone talk about it. i think you were the first one oh, who dude. turned me on to it and it's just been everyone just kind of blowing up since well it goes back to the the point of when you watch a documentary like that uh Quincy is always hanging around music or creative people. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that that's his world. Like he lives his work. Yeah. You know, his friends are people that he makes music with. You know, like that's that's hit that's or he not not just music, but he can create with. Whether it's like, yo, we're gonna build this television platform, we're gonna make Vibe yeah. magazine, or we're gonna make, you know, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He's always surrounded by work. His yeah. work is his friends, are his friendships. It's- yeah, it makes sense. And that's also, I was just listening to the uh, Tim Ferriss and uh, Rick Rubin thing. Oh, I have to hear that. That was an early one. So I missed that. That was, uh, I, I got, I was lucky. It was kind of that thing by sort of by kind of just hanging with people and having these conversations. People just start introing me to other people, which just led to, I had an amazing conversation Monday for two hours with Zach Cowie, the music supervisor for uh, Master of None, okay. among other things, which okay. I always reference that show as like, this is what, and I think uh, the public noticed too, what great music supervision is and should be and was such a fan. And we just talked about just everything. Did you always want to be a music supervisor? I think like most people growing up, there was like kind of three things everyone wanted to do. Paleontologist, marine biologist, right? <laughs> Or right, like who, like you, everyone wanted to like dig up dinosaurs. Like yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do this, and I'm gonna go. The marine biologist dinosaurs. is always like the the yeah. the basic Starbucks girl, the girl who likes Starbucks with the yoga mat. Was like, I want to be a marine biologist. I do, yeah, right. Like I know what you're gonna be. Yeah, right. And then you <laughs> you're gonna be that Starbucks fish. girl. Yeah. 
Starbucks are out. Like, but you wanted to be there. I'm going to hang out with dolphins all day. What a great job, right? I'm going to be digging up dinosaurs that haven't been dug up. Like, no one's digging up dinosaurs. Or you wanted to pick a movie soundtrack. Yes, right? yes. Like, everyone had that thought. And so, in high school, I remember, because I, I, once I figured out music was my thing, when I was super young, first grade, I was like, I'm going to be in New York Range or hockey. And then fifth grade, I picked a guitar and just went, nope, we're going music. And, and um, th- yeah, uh, how'd you, what's the story of you getting your first guitar? What's the story behind that? I guess the first thing was, I first thing I want to do is drums. I saw a drum solo like at a, you know, the school band orchestra, whatever that thing, you know, whatever the show was. I think they did like Green Day. I was like, oh, that's so cool, you know? And uh, I saw a drum solo. I was like, that looks awesome. I want to do that. And so my parents got me, you know, was lucky. They got me drum lessons. And he sat down and gave me a little circle, flat drum pad and some sticks. And we started going quarter notes, like, you know, like just hitting. And I was like, this is terrible and boring. Like, where is that? I want to smash a cymbal. I want to be that cool guy. Uh, and it was like torture for me to practice. So that lasted a month, maybe. Didn't dig it. Um, and then I heard a guitar solo, which... Uh, in a real big fish song, beer. And I was like, no, that sounds cool. I want to do that. And I was visiting uh, family friends in Massachusetts. And he had this little Toys R Us, you know, guitar with like a speaker built into mm-hmm. it. And I, he taught me two songs, you know, Smoke on the Water and Wild Thing, which is also Louie Louie, just depends. Same song, just different lyrics, <laughs> but guitar. And like, I was hooked. They're both like, you know, three, four note songs, but it was like the most fun thing. Did, did- did you find that, uh, like, one thing I struggle with the drums versus, like, guitar or piano is uh, the melody. Did you struggle with the fact there's no melody with the drum? It's just a, just a beat? It's, yeah, I think, I think if I, if I was on a drum kit and could hear the music, I would have maybe liked it more. Yeah. But that was it. The guitar was, like, I was just hearing, just hearing smacks. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the guitar was, like, oh, I hear a song. That's what I, I heard a song. I heard yeah. a melody. And so... Now it's like also it's like looking, you know, as you get later in life, it's like it's like, hey baby, you wanna hear me play drums? Like, psh, 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 like you know, like <laughs> playing guitar is like, you know, a little bit more swooning to that. Or like, you know, it's also just from a sheer like you don't want to lug around a drum kit. My drummer was amazing and he had a rack and like I have to it's just such a pain in the ass to lug around drum stuff. It's so annoying, it's not practical. It's like I love drummers. I think great drummers are usually a little weird. There's like, it's like a goalie in hockey. Yeah. Like there's like, you kind of got to be nuts to have like stuff, people shooting pucks at you all day. You kind of got to be nuts to just be smacking shit for hours every day. Well, it's like, also kind of, it's also an isolated, uh, an isolated instrument. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you are, the goalie is sitting there by himself on the other end of the ice, just kind of just sitting there. The and, and then when, and then his, when his time comes, he's getting like whacked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I feel like the drummer's kind of the same way where like they're not playing notes right right like I, the bass player the guitar player the piano player are playing notes yeah so they're vibing on like a chord structure thing totally versus the drummers is like on a banging thing he's in his own he's like in his own world of mechanical just time like, yeah you know what i mean and like obviously they can they can get melodic and do stuff but usually it's yeah it's just it's their own kind the of drummer is the bartender at the restaurant the bartender doesn't deal with the food he makes the drinks He's, in, he's vital. You have to have yeah. drinks at the restaurant, but he's not the chef. He's not the server. He's not the busboy. He's not running the food. <laughs> yeah. He just makes the drinks and he's in his own little world. Yeah. His own little 
own little thing, keeping it going. Going with the food references yeah. here. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just, I just didn't want to dispute you because I think the drink thing can get there's, there's certainly a good mixologist can get into that world of. Okay, of okay, that. okay. That is true. That is true. Yeah. But for the large majority, like of, of a normal place of just beer and wine, he's just keep. Yeah. He's just slinging booze. He's slinging. Yeah. That fancy drummer is like Phil Collins. You know. You get, well, I think <laughs> I'm going to see uh, again in two weeks with. I, there was a crazy night with Phil Collins and two buddies from McCann and Music, mm-hmm. uh, my l- previous agency. Yeah, that we yeah there was a, there was a whole Phil Collins thing, and I, I got an invite to a fortunate invite to go see him again, probably because they didn't know about the last time. And uh, so I think we're gonna go try and do a round two, but hopefully yeah. a little bit more, a little bit more sober. We we're backstage <laughs> and we're politely they were very like, oh, I think Phil's done seeing people. Right now. <laughs> And so we never actually met him. We were backstage and we're uh, politely told not allowed to go back and hang with Phil. So maybe this time. This time. This was a while ago. This was like eight years ago. Yeah, I got to make that one happen, dude. It's Phil Collins. It's, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so now uh, you, you discovered the guitar and you wanted to pursue this as a career, as a guitar player. Yeah. And I feel like I have to, should go back and explain, like, I feel like you don't expect a music nerd to say real big fish. And ska is why I play guitar. I really got into this. But uh, my sister is older. So as the young, you know, the baby in the family, younger brother, kind of listened to what, you know, the older sibling listens to, the cool, yeah. the cool kids. So uh, they were into like, this was, would have been like 97, maybe something like that. So it was like Blink-182, Dude Ranch came out and like Real Big Fish uh, turned the radio off. Like all that sort of stuff is what they were listening to. So that's what I was listening to you know listen to that stuff and then that's where i heard that and so i had like a period where i was going through you know the punk rock thing and then i just uh had a knack for guitar and as i got better at guitar my musical taste changed because i kept trying to find things more challenging on guitar but i picked up that guitar and like even in sixth grade and fifth grade i was waking up early to play guitar before school and just fell in love with it and then uh I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a rock star. So seventh grade, I had my first band going, uh, a band, Misfire, very seventh grade kind of thing. <laughs> and we were great musically, but at that age, I, I never tried to sing. I still haven't sung. I've only entertained it like within the last year and want to get voice lessons. And I think people keep telling me different teachers. I just got to pick one and, and go. Yeah. But never had a desire to sing. But at seventh grade, it's like, yeah, puberty's happening. So like musically, we're great. But like... <laughs> The singers in my band were, were the three piece. Everyone played an instrument. The drummer and the bass were amazing musicians. Yeah, this is not great singers. Like I was always like, come to the show, just, just don't listen to the vocals. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then it wasn't until uh, halfway through high school where I kind of had some band changes and kind of started a new band. This band, Tunnels to Korea. Okay. Which I still think is a great name for a yeah. band. It kind of happened haphazardly. Um, but I only ever thought of being a rock star. I never thought I'd be in an office. Like no way, I was just gonna be on stage, and that was and that was it. But it was around that time where, you know, parents start saying, you know, what, you know, you gotta have a fallback or something, or what else can you do in music? And I was like thinking, what else? And you know, it's like hearing soundtracks to Tarantino and Wes Anderson films, and uh, I was like, that that'd be awesome to do that, you know. And so I remember I messaged, I made a MySpace page just so I can try and reach out to these people. I watched all the credits and. Then looked up and saw a music supervisor is like the guy who does that. And so I messaged Randy Poster, who does all the Wes Anderson stuff. It's not Susan Jacobs. She's and, amazing. And, and you did this over MySpace? 
Yeah, because I didn't know how else to get to these people. And, and how old are you at this time? I mean, this is me and I'm like 14, 15. Wow. Like, you know, just like in the middle of high school, kind of around then. And the guy from Entourage, I remember I tried to, he might have been the only one who I could find, sort of find. I know it's probably like a fake one. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one got back to me, of course. But like. Dude, props to you for having vision so young. I think that's a lot of, you know, people say that, oh, you work really hard or uh, you have such uh, drive. But I think when drive meets vision, you have something powerful. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the guy who works over, you know, not to, you know, everyone's uh, a hustle's a hustle. But if you're working at the Wendy's and you're yeah. flipping the burger at the Wendy's, that guy's works hard. Yeah. You know I mean, that's hard fucking work. On a feed all day, dealing with all sorts of crazy people. Yeah. yeah. But to have vision of saying like, you know what? I want that. And that's what success looks like for me. I think is uh, uh, the difference between a lot of folks who make it and don't make it. So props to you. Thank you. Yeah. It was just like, I like just new music. Like, what, yeah. what can I do in music? Like, there's got to be some way to do it instead so, of an office. Who was the first person to kind of like, you know, reach back, you know, out to you? Uh, that you like, you know. I mean, I was like two, three people. So like no one in that world. That was just like a thing I did and didn't even reflect back on until much later. Like, oh, yeah, I kind of did that thing. Um, and it was kind of like, I remember I was always the friend who liked being the one to find the new music and then just give it to all my friends. Like I always loved just sharing great music with people are you with that nap that, that uh that uh kazaa napster i i, I was <laughs> on with the all cds that. like i was on that i mean i was in yeah i was i was on all that and i'm just like back then it was like different for finding music for anyone who showed me new music i was like how do you find new music I was like what's your rabbit holes and all that and i think the number one way to do it was like you get a cd and you just read the liner notes like what who what do they sound who are they thanking in their credits and all that and mm. then uh, you know, later I learned all music and then you see what's the best album from them and who are they influenced by and like trying to just get whatever I can from these artists who I totally idolize. Like who inspired them? What are they listening to? And then just going there. Where'd you go to college? Uh, University of Delaware. Okay. You're, you, but you're from Jersey. From Jersey. Okay. And never thought I'd go to college. Like just rock star. Like what, that was all it. What'd you major in? Uh, communications, mass communications, yeah, just that, like everyone. That is like the, the slacker major. It's like sophisticated slacker. <laughs> I was a comm major. It was it was just like, I don't know, but like, I'm talking. Like, like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like, talking. I'm communicating. Here, like, I like people. Yeah, I'll figure it out. But if you accept me into your college, it means I communicated well. So I think I think we got something going on. Oh, uh, it, it, it's one of those things where you you sign up for to, to be a con major, and it sounds nice, and then people are like, "So what do you do?" <laughs> like, it's like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, I'm doing it now. This is, <laughs> this is my thesis right now. It's like, how did you become a? Uh, uh, what was it your first like professional break? Because at this time, you still wanted to be a music supervisor in school. No, no, I didn't. I, I was kind of kind of lost. Uh, it's actually really hard to get in the communications prog- program at Delaware. It was only, they accepted only top 100 students. It was based off four courses, which had like, you know, 300 people apply. So you knew after like course one, if you were, it was, so it got really competitive. And there's a whole story about how I got into that major that I don't know if I should fully share publicly, but uh I ended up getting in. Well, we'll do that maybe off, off the record. <laughs> so I was, was dating bit, the admissions. There, it, was, it wasn't anything that bad, <laughs> but there was one extra credit assignment that pushed me into the major. And yeah, it was, yeah. 
you know, we'll, hey, we'll, hey, you know, we'll you, get there. You, I don't want to undo it. Use your connects. Yeah, it wasn't even a connection. <laughs> it was just a little, yeah, a little. Yeah, we got it. We're here now. We're, so we're it here all, now. It's all that matters. We're here dog. now. <laughs> uh, but basically, I guess I guess it would start with that. Um, it was when the band broke up that I was like, I thought I'd go to Rutgers and keep the band together. Yeah. Uh, the singer left, and then I was like, shit. Now I gotta figure out this college thing. Like for real, take it seriously because I thought I'd just do that and band on the side. Because uh, the band was doing well, like over a hundred tickets a show. Clubs were calling us. Like we were wow. starting to get some opening gigs for you know decent people. Like buzz bands in, in the area. Um, and then that left was like, oh, shit. I'm back to square one. So I went to Delaware because it looked beautiful. It was these big grassy greens and brick buildings. It's what you think of college. college yeah. You know, like I looked at Berkeley School of Music and it just kind of had some wacky stats to it. And uh, Northeastern just wasn't feeling it. Um, and I never really liked Rutgers. It felt too close to home. Yeah. And just Delaware it looked great. Uh, out of school, what was your first professional um job and did you know at this point like how did advertising come into play like how- so yeah so that came about I, I had no idea my stepsister was older and she was an art director okay and she told me about that and i always liked creative and improv and just making things um and so she told me about what that was and it's like that kind of sounds cool i'm like i can i'll do weird skittles commercials or starburst like i like that weird stuff with like i can make those commercials and it's like you know, you get into the office at like ten ish, dress in t shirt jeans or gold 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 Nikes. Fresh ass gold Nikes. Yeah. I like that reminded me it's kinda like uh <laughs> my favorite comedian was like Mitch Hedberg and he had like a joke where uh, I was like, you know, he put out a comedy CD, he's like, I dressed up for the C D and that was kind of my way of doing it. It's like ah, no one could like, see these are so fresh. No one could see them, but they're they're I'm rocking them. Uh but anyway, so she told me about advertising and what it was and like you can wear t shirts and jeans to work. And like there's drinking in the office and it sound, sounded kind of fun. So um, I applied for an internship at McCann Erickson. This is my going into my the internship would have been like going into my senior year of college. Okay. Um, as a copywriter because I know how to do Photoshop. But I was like, I could, you know, think and make things. Um, and I went to the interview and uh, they really liked me. It was this great interview. But they're like, usually copywriters have portfolios and English majors and all this experience and you work at a record store you've been in bands your email is jay hendrix at udell <laughs> which yeah <laughs> which was every teacher commented on i was like i don't want to be lame like ladman like oh like what is there and then i was like i was blown away like no one picked jay hendrix like oh, how is that possible man. that no one picked jay hendrix for their udell email but okay. jimmy hendrix didn't go to Num- Delaware. number one professional advice that you know and i didn't know this either yeah. Before I got into the, the professional world, your email matters. B ball chick fifty five at Hotmail. Nah, not not killing the game. Yeah, who? I just saw someone <laughs> and I was like, or someone had an email. I was like Hotmail. I was like, you no. Like how? Like how are you going to get taken seriously? Like you want to get into? No, 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 no. I feel like b- Gmail. Yep. Is like the lowest you can go. It has to be your Gmail or your company. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you can't even bring Yahoo anymore, I don't think. No. I didn't even, <laughs> yeah. Like, none of that. You can't. You just can't do it. It's like, are you admitting, like, yeah. You can't do it. Like, version point what? Yeah. That doesn't. Yeah, so. Although, so, so, yeah. So, so, they're like, yeah, basically, you have no writing experience and are not qualified. Although, I did I did present a really good Swedish fish commercial. My steps is like, you should make, uh, like, a mock ad. 
And so the my thing was uh, this little is like a sixty second spot, and it was a father and a son walking through a zoo, and the dad thought he was like this hot shot, like he knows about all all the animals, and then the son would kind of ask him these outlandish questions of, like you know, can a giraffe be afraid of heights? You know, do fish get thirsty? <laughs> and the dad gets growingly more frustrated that he doesn't know the answer. Like no, we're and then so at the end, it's like all right, let's just eat. Enough of your questions, son. Let's let's eat something. And he buys him a bag of Swedish fish, and and the son goes, you know, do, do Swedish fish eat their own babies? And the dad smiles and laughs and goes, "Of course they do, son. Of course they do." <laughs> and it's like Swedish fish, so good you'd eat your own babies. <laughs> and that was like my only little little ad thing, uh, which I don't think would go over so well. Eating babies, probably yeah, frowned upon. Yeah, pro- but probably not. But that you was know, the I- kind of thing ads <laughs> I thought I would do. It's like I'm gonna walk in and do weird ads. Yeah, not how it works. Um, but so they're like, you. Besides this, you have no portfolio or anything have all this music why don't you go for the music producer internship and i was like what is that like well you work with our ep this like you know one of the big guys in advertising legend like mike boris work with him and pick and produce music for commercials and i was like you know it's like an off menu item i was like i didn't know that was a job i didn't know that was like an option or a thing someone got paid to do yeah and i was like let's like hell yeah let's do that like that sounds amazing and so I actually didn't know that I got that over. I got accepted to the internship, but I didn't realize that's what I got accepted for until like day one of the internship. And they were calling out everyone to like go to their uh, creative leaders and whatever their bosses were going to be that I got the music one. I thought it was a copywriter. And then, and then I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so then I just kind of I like went all in. I was first one in the office last to leave i like finally had an outlet for all this music knowledge and like i was like oh my god people are sending me music like my email is just full of music and like i get advances and i got like oh the big you know elephant six collectives like neutral milk hotel and all that stuff and i got like the music tapes new album or the second yeah. album before and, it was and, out and who's sending you this music like is it uh other music supervisors like who who sends you music Labels, publishers, so everyone who reps the music who wanted to get stuff into ads was like, start, I was starting to get on their mailing list okay. as the intern, the music intern for Mike Boris, you know, McCann, music department. And it was like kind of right around that time where it was becoming a thing. Like music and commercials was becoming a thing. It was like the Feist Apple commercial came out probably when I was still in college. Because I remember that's, but that was a big one. And then... Like around this time was sort of when uh, like Phoenix 1901 mm-hmm. was in Cadillac and Justice Genesis was in Cadillac and uh, Crayola was doing cool stuff with like that Unicorns commercial and Animal Collective and I think there was another cool one they did. Um, and then the Dodos were in like a Miller, I think, commercial and I was seeing all these indie bands and commercials like this is so cool. And back then, like, indie really meant something. Like, the record stores, you'd have stuff that was, like, just for indie record stores. And that's, I think, when when Pitchfork really mattered. Like, their ratings, if it was best new music or recommended, like, we would stock up on those CDs. Like, because they would, they would fly off the shelves. And so that's, like, when you had all the, the kind of indie darlings of, like, it was, like, Grizzly Bear and LCD Sound System and Boney Vare is on his first album. And, El- you know, Vampire Weekend had their first album. And all these bands, like, kind of, were like they were huge to us you know because uh, i had a chance to interview a woman named mary wood uh, she has a company called frisbee uh, she was one of the um a legendary jingle writer um yeah, especially yeah. like back in the 90s so she did like pepsi 
song uh, with Aretha yeah. Franklin, and she also did Seven Up. It's an Up thing. Uh, she sang that one too. Yeah. Uh, but we had a good conversation about the shift that she's seen in the advertising industry, and she was mentioning that like, back in the day, uh, you know, the the a band like Nirvana or I don't know yeah. Pearl Jam would never. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I want their music in an ad, uh, yeah. ever, ever, ever. But because of the internet um, and Napster and these streaming sites, now there was a, a demand where they were like, we, we can make money off of this. And they started yeah. sucking up to the ad agency. Was that something that you experienced as well? It's, yeah, it's well, so, so back then when those things were happening, like, you know, there's, there's original, so for, for what I do, there's the easy way to say there's the two kind of bread and butter parts of it. There's a lot more that we do and uh, personally that I, I look to do rather than just, but well, you're putting music to picture. So you have a picture, you have a brief and you're, you're, essentially finding and sourcing ways to put music to that. And so the two halves of that are most often a licensing where you're just putting Nirvana or Weezer, or whoever it is, Anderson Pack. You're taking their music, their song as is, and putting it to picture and marrying those two together. The other half is kind of the original composition where you're having, you know, uh, someone like Mary, a music house or what mm -hmm. you think of as a jingle company, create music specifically for picture. And I think the jingle may be sort of coming back more than it had been, but like usually it's not a jingle. Usually it's just a score, what you think a movie score would be for an ad. And now as things have changed, artists more and more are are doing that. Where I've been had a, a, an insane range of artists, whether it's went file or not, like, you know, write for ads. Um, which is awesome. We had uh, you know, Panda Bear, you know, a band that I've loved, you know, Animal Collective, who yeah. forever scored six Uniqlo spots for me. You know, it's like I'm, within the first month of Drogo, we got to, I got to do that. I'm like, this place is awesome. But to And, and they, they made the music specifically for the Uniqlo ad. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I, I interviewed a, a good friend of mine. Um, well, I, I actually didn't interview him. We were having a conversation. And I was like, yo, um, he's, a, he's a rapper. And I was like, yo, fam, how are you, uh, how are you making all this money? You know what I'm saying? He's living yeah. good. I'm like, yo, like we eat in nice restaurants. Yeah. And he was like, oh, dude, like I, I did an ad for uh Honey Nut Cheerios. Boom. Like that's my voice. And I was like, Yeah. How did that's a cool gig? And and so being able to, I think artists now are realizing, you know what? I can be this entity, this artist, this guitar yeah. player, this singer, this rapper, but I can also lend my talents 
to the corporate world and not have it interfere at all with the brand that I'm building for myself personally. Yeah. And that's so, I, I kind of digressed, but so I think you had these indie bands sort of doing it because the ads were kind of cool. Those ads were kind of cool. It's a way to, it's back then it, it was certainly lesser budgets because of that indie thing, but like it was a good, it was a good little paycheck. And so I know the, you know, of Montreal did an Outback thing where they changed the lyrics to let's go to Outback tonight. And they caught a lot of heat for it. And he's like, I've been a struggling artist for 10 years. All this money is going. Now I got a paycheck to go make more music and art and have a better stage for you, the fans. And that's kind of where I think it happened where artists were losing streaming sales and all these other sales. And they saw it as a means of, hey, we can finally get paid and we can record our next album. It's a means to, to do art. And it's a means to now, it's like a, it's a way to, to just get your music out there. It's mutually beneficial. I think there's some places or, or brands that can be where it's like, hey, maybe you're welcome. Look at all these exposure. But it, it's, it's really mutual beneficial because it's elevating the brand and the spot by having this cool band in there. And I think the, a big shift was because uh, it was frowned upon for so long. It was selling out. And a couple of years ago, uh, I was fortunate to go to a small listening session with maybe 10 people and with Moby to hear his new album. Yeah. And we just sat down and we talked for like an hour or so, but about, he was really the pioneer in that world. Uh, play was, or Push Play, that was like, I think the first, or it's one of the only albums ever to have every song synced. And he caught a lot of heat for that. Everyone was like, dude, you sold out and all this stuff. And he looked at it as like, well, now I have money to do art. More people are hearing my music. Like, I don't see the the downside to this. He kind of looked at, you know, I think people kind of almost look at it as like Robin Hood. You're kind of taking from these big companies and you're giving it to the to the bands and the artists. And, you know, he said after after a while, he'd have all these bands maybe were hating on him, would come back and be like, how'd you like, how'd you do that? Like, what did you do? How did you do that? Like, how'd you get your stuff? We want to do that. And I think that was a big thing of like kind of changing that 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 shift and then when indie meant something it was seen as being cool and it was like cheap these small bands smallish relative bands you know compared to the the massive a-listers at the time were seen as indian and cool and so it was it was also much cheaper and now though it's funny it's kind of us having conversation about how it's flattening out where there's so much more in indie where you want to break a band where if they're synced like it might, I might not want to go near them because they're already they're already blown up and discovered. I want to be the yeah. first to break a band, so those fees are going up because you only have that first sync. So it's kind of a poker game of like, do we want to take this ad, or is there a better one coming? You know, mm. it's kind of that that sort of thing. Okay. And then some of the huge names who didn't license are now like, hey, we're open for business. Like, don't think of us as untouchable. Don't think of us as like you know seven figures just to start like we're open to this so a lot of those big name older dudes who never licensed are like now down to play ball and like those those a-listers like I icons are coming down in price a little bit are, are these a-listers um are you seeing more of uh, uh them reaching out to you them wanting to build more relationships with you totally it's 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 why i'm thinking this whole little era uh it's kind of like the golden age of, I think, licensing. Yeah. Because especially in advertising, where there's still broadcast is still alive, and it's 
it's you know because that's certainly decreasing with you know dvr and everything going to netflix and streaming but it still is that big thing where big sync can can make an artist um and so now you're noticing there's a lot of these amazing listening events where labels and publishers are like kind of hosting these small intimate things with these icons essentially to kind of say hey we're open instead of just doing an email it's like here you'll get to meet this person or whatever it is and so like uh it's those sort of conversations where they're, they're smart and kind of you know courting i think the music supervisors in a way that yeah. like you can't say no to hanging out with you know whoever it is yeah because I, I would imagine you're in the position now almost like being the uh you know the playlist curator over at spotify or apple you know what i mean as far as like hey i have the ability and the power to say look i can put you in that skittles ad yeah it's that and it's obviously you know it's kind of a gauntlet of approvals within an agency or anywhere to just be like here's a song go go and get it in there but there there kind of is that and it's, it's really interesting you say that because i was just you know talking about friends and all this stuff i got connected to this guy just i'm curious about spotify playlisting like how does that work uh and through uh a manager connected me i'm trying to think who someone connected me to this great guy uh you know john at at spotify who does all the playlists yeah for like a lot of the indie stuff and just talking to him and like and like just chatting like there was no agenda like you know i just wanted to know how he did what he did and what is that like and how does he listen to music and how does he view music and kind of learning that and if you kind of really distill um the music and the majority of how people get music and the curators of that music it's really a couple hundred people in the world probably that are really giving the music world between all the music supervisors and the playlisters it's a small group are really kind of not seen it's only recently i think where the name music supervisor and that job is a thing where now there's courses on it and there's i was just chatting uh yesterday and there's uh there's a a great a, a great you know movement now by the music supervisors guild these guys made this guild to kind of help bring awareness and to get it to the forefront so it's gonna be the first ever new york ad event uh next friday Okay. Which will be great. Um, and so uh, I'm doing a panel for the ESPN rebrand we did uh, with uh, Creative and, you know, some of the, the guy at ESPN, Kevin Wilson and Jonathan Heck, uh, talking about how we do that. But it's it's music and film and everything. And there's that idea of like, hey, like everyone's, you know, there's all these other things that are getting credit for film and all that stuff and TV. But what about the guys giving people music? And so you're now, you know, we... Kind of right, we're right we ran into through. The, I don't know where, yeah. we, I don't know where we went. I don't know what we talked about because I know we talked and weren't trying to repeat ourselves. Well, you're, you're but, now you're yeah. you're uh, doing music supervision over here at Droga. So yeah, so fast forward. I I had I McCann that music internship. They ended up hiring me upon graduation. Yeah, I traveled. I did Birthright, and then I studied abroad in Australia. And I sent every producer every time I traveled, like a keychain or something to keep on their desk, a personalized note. Uh, and someone keep on their desk so they'd remember me. And so that when I graduated, hopefully I can get a job. And I, I kind of held out and put all my eggs in that basket. And fortunately, it worked out. Um, but I was there and started off as a production coordinator, music guy that was a foot in the door and was doing expenses and travel for like eight producers and like hated doing all that. And it's probably why I'm such a jerk at doing my own expenses is having to do everyone else's. Uh, but did that and then, you know, was learning music on the side and then 
worked my way up at, at McCann and had the privilege of working under Mike Boris and Peter Gannon and Eric Johnson and just learned different things that kind of rounded me out. They all have their own way of working that rounded me out to kind of be ready where I remember day one of my internship was like, I want to be Mike Boris. I want to run a music department. I want to be like the guy that everyone's after and is kind of leading the charge. And so after almost seven years there, I, uh, I heard that Droga 5 was looking for, was going to start a music department. And Droga 5 was the cool, hot agency. They won agency of the year every year. They did the Michael Phelps spot and were just doing all the cool things. Um, and after, I don't get stressed. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's a calm interview. Like, I'm very into like the gym and health. And that's kind of, Tim Ferriss would say, like biohacking or life hacking. That gives me, I think, an edge. It's like, if you feel good and your mind's good, advertising is a crazy world and like really intense and like if you're calm that energy goes out and all around and i think helps allow better music decisions if they're frantic and you're like come in there's cool vibes of a piano and like you know little toys in here that helps get people in the mode for music to chill um that allows you to kind of just chill and do your thing you know so you know everybody wants to you know uh, looks at music supervision and they're hearing you speak and they're like this is the flyest job ever uh, but what about your job uh, is challenging or, or, or sucks or stresses you out? It keeps you up at night. Yes, yeah, so I think there's, there's two things. One is that I'm very competitive to always and like have high standards for like myself and my ear and for what I think the best music is for a spot. So making sure that everything that goes out is of that quality. And so uh, I, I really push that every search is awesome and I'll get really kind of down on myself if I get a brief from my creatives or whoever and like, I don't have the perfect song and I search. And so I'll, I'll stay up at night, like just racking my brain. What is that? So I can't turn it off, like turning that off when there's something I'm really excited about. And I just know there's something better out there. There is that magical song. So I think that is tough and will keep me up. And it's something I probably push on myself that everything has to be like the best spot. And then the fact that music is so sub subjective, and it's kind of a gauntlet of approvals to get a song through. And so the way that works is basically my, creati my creatives will give me a brief, right? We have an ad and we need a song about pushing yourself and never giving up, whatever that lyric brief or a vibe, whatever it is. And sometimes they don't know and they're just like, what do you think works? Here's film, go. Um, and I found I've had the most success where I always look at the brief, but I also just look at the film. And I'll answer the brief always, but then I'll also just be like, what do I think? is great and i'll go off brief and give like some weird dark kind of dark horses wild card tracks um and then if you have one of those tracks where there's magic in it convincing everyone else that that's that's the track because everyone goes in and they want this one thing it's like you know i used to not like pickles and now i i do her yeah they're all right but olives i hate olives. i hate, <laughs> I hate olives. olives i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> like i couldn't like eat one and play it cool and be like no no thank you i don't care for this flavor i was like yucky face like i hate them and i just kept eating it and kept eating it and kept eating it and then knew what to accept like expect and now i loved it so like to try and convince people to do it and like to convince people from different tastes and everywhere to to like something because it's just you some it's subjective everyone has an opinion or can think they're a music expert and so you know you can have two british dudes and two german dudes and like a middle-aged dude and then just internally and then it goes to client and they have to like it and it moves up that chain so 
I think what's so amazing, one of the amazing things about Droga is the ability to sell, upsell. So if we don't have a budget to license and it's a smaller budget just to do a score, original score, uh, they'll be like, There's, that's cool, but here's this other thing. And to get everyone to align on one song as this is the best, especially if it's a bold choice. And I think we're really good at, at pushing that of like, here's what you wanted, but here's the thing you didn't ask for and it's better. And so like, here's five other ads that are doing this sound right now, the blues rock. We don't want to do that. Here's something you haven't heard. And it's scary, and it's, but it's much more satisfying. And that's what breaks through is when you're doing something different than just doing the latest reference sound of what whoever else did. And an idea popped in my head uh, while, while you were uh, speaking. Would it be beneficial for advertisers to have in-house producers? Or is that like a thing that exists like say, let's say friends for a score. If you were doing um, if this was Motown back in yeah. the nineteen sixties. They had their own band inside right. that played the Temptations records, the Jackson totally. Five records, the Marvin Gaye records. Um, is is there a value in having an in-house production musical team to make those scores? I think it would kind of be. It's interesting because people have pitched that. Uh, I think it would be a conflict of interest and in kind of limiting us creatively a little bit. Uh, the cool thing about McCann Erickson, so my last agency, that was they were the first ad agency to ever hire a music producer. And it was this guy, Billy Davis, who was from the Motown thing. And he did I Want to Teach the World to Sing and all these really iconic things. And so that was really forward thinking on their part. Um, but to do that and just have one guy, I think, I think it would limit because there's so many different music houses. There's so many different composers. And I always, to my food analogies, there's been pretty minimal in this one i think compared to normal <laughs> uh there's a lot of music houses out there it's it's a it's a somewhat crowded marketplace with a lot of talented people and so i think the old school way of doing it is like you have a place where they can do everything they have all these in-house composers and that's all they do they do they make ads and they just kind of pump it out and it works and it's great and i think there's a sound to that and it works for things but i kind of say like i kind of push everyone to a corner I'm like what do you do that no one else can do? What do you do better? Like what excites you? Because usually the people that started these companies can have interesting backgrounds. They're from a band. They came from here. And you're seeing what we were saying earlier, a lot of artists really want to write for ads because it's, it's a really challenging, fun, creative exercise. It's again, a good payday. And they can either do it uh, with their name and likeness attached or anonymously. And they just get to do it and it's fun and it's money. And it funds whatever and does that. Um, but I'm like, what do you do that no one else can do? And then I kind of put that flagship in the ground. All right, these guys are the modern classical guys. And by doing that, I think it's, you know, you can go to a diner, like the old school way, and you can get like, you can get a lasagna and an omelet, but they're going to be all right. But you go to the meatball shop and you get meatballs. Like, that's the thing. Like, I want, who does this the best? Like, I want the best for everything. Mm. And so I think, there's some benefits for, I think, internal and smaller jobs, or maybe that would make sense. But it's also, I feel like, kind of maybe that Robin Hood of like, how can we share this money with the artists? I feel like it's kind of my job to try and spread that pot around to as many people as possible. And I think uh, there's certain places I, I call more than others, but it's a meritocracy. Like, I, I try to give everyone a shot as best as anyone can with so many companies. But I think the music kind of can speak for itself. So everyone, if you've won 10 jobs for me or we haven't worked together, 
probably gonna have to do like some pulls and some work to like the same thing you're gonna have to do every time to get in and if the music's good we'll we'll go there and that's even if it doesn't win because it can be competitive or have two music houses compete if it doesn't win but the tracks are great i'm gonna call you again you know what i mean so it's and i think now surrounding yourself with good people is such a thing i want to work with people who like are friends who have my back you know not just trying to get a, a paycheck but those people are like they know that this seat it's like a tough seat and things change and it's like all right we can collaborate you'll help me i'll try and if it doesn't go your way like i'll try and get you in on the next job and it's those people who are good people uh who you want to work with they're like it's everyone wins you know yeah. <clears throat> you know it's wrap up the interview i always ask uh, the same question uh to my guests and um you know, everyone is on this pursuit of, of greatness. Um, and I've been blessed to have, you know, uh, almost 50 episodes of amazing, great people who have done inspiring work, who are pushing culture, who have shifted culture. Um, and I know that that comes with a lot of, of sacrifice. Um, like what have you sacrificed um, to be great at what you do? That's a good question. Um, it's, it's, a, it's funny, you know, actually, I guess I was just talking about it kind of last night, actually. Uh, I feel like I've, I've kind of, so I was saying like, I get, I get obsessive. I was obsessive for guitar. I'm obsessive with music. I've been obsessive with this like whole keto intermittent fasting health thing right now. Uh, and I think it's like, and, and more so now like with our chat and just surrounding myself with good people and having conversations that we had and are having now more and more to figure out where is music going where is advertising going where is content going how can this help artists how does it help me how does it help the world i was fortunate to go on this incredible uh music influencer trip in israel by the schusterman organization called reality they do 10 trips a year so it's a music one like completely life-changing with the most incredible diverse uh, range of people. And I think I was, what they want you to walk away with is how can we use our positions to kind of help the world a little bit. And so I think I've been wrapping myself in this world where, you know, I have a, a beautiful niece in Hoboken and one and a nephew in central Jersey. And I think what I've sacrificed with that and I'm on is not, it's like I'm just so wrapped up in this world and trying to figure out what the next level of greatness is. Uh, that maybe I've, I've sacrificed some time with some like amazing friends and and family, which I want to be a part of, uh, be more in. Like I'm going home to do it. All my best friends from childhood were doing a color wars, so just a ton of stupid competitive activities. And like there's every time I look at my phone, there's like 70 texts about what's our team name, what's our color, and smack talking and and gifts. And I'm like. I feel like I haven't been as into that because I'm so into making sure everything comes out out here is great. Because I kind of take it personally. If, it, if music's going out the door, that's like my name. That's like my credit and reputation that I've, I think I've built well over the past, you know, almost decade. And so I think even, I think that, I guess friends and family, I'm, I'm so wrapped up in, I think really trying to greatness and kind of pushing as far as I can this music supervision thing and, getting music in the world and, and to, for artists to be paid and great music to be heard and appreciated because there's so much stuff that's like 
it's a very throwaway culture right now and trying to figure out how to change it and be a part of it for the benefit of, of, of music and content and artists and then also myself how can I elevate that and, and do it in a way that that benefits the artists and kind of the world is there a, you know it sounds a little kumbaya crunchiness but uh it's that and also dating it's like it should be such a good line you know I'm a music producer music supervisor and that's what I did in the beginning when I had you know I was making not much money it was like the big perk is I can go to any concert for the most part on guest list which is like holy shit that blew my mind and I, <laughs> like, I was thanking everyone and they're like no thank you for going and I was like no thank you for letting you know and like those experiences and I, I don't think I've made time for for that at all and like it's uh, like for, you know for, for dating? dating for that whole thing where it's like you know hey what are you doing in two weeks isn't really a good a good line to keep interest so I guess it'd be some personal stuff well Mike thank you so much for being on the show brother Thank you. Cool ass pleasure. dude, bro. It's, it's, it's been a love. Pleasure. I'm not, I still don't know if anyone will know what music supervision is after this, but hopefully. <laughs> oh, they, uh, they have a great, they have a great, uh, great idea. Thank you so much. And shout out to Cat Matt, too, for making this possible. Cat Matt, I just hung with her yesterday. <laughs> we had a, a beautiful, uh, yeah, beautiful lunch, and it was a great hang. Cool. Yeah. Hey, you're the man. You're the man. We out. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Silent Giants and to our special guest, music supervisor, Mike Labman. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. Other People's Podcast is a show that highlights my favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. You can find the link to that podcast in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.